Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, open up to, to Genesis chapter number 50. Genesis chapter number 50. And uh, Brenton, while, while you were leading singing, you must have swung your arm too far over this way and it silenced the piano player and she misunderstood and, uh, and she quit playing. So uh, that must have been what happened. I don't know. But, uh, but hey, you sounded good uh, singing a cappella. On occasion, I like to do that. And I remember I went to Peru and, and it was a challenge when you're starting a church um, you, you, don't have, you don't have anybody. Uh, I mean, it is you and, uh, and your family. That's it. And my family was all very little, so they weren't, uh, they weren't really what you call ready to play the piano or, in our case, guitar. And so I opted to, to, to learn the guitar, and I don't play the guitar. I tell people all that all the time. All I do is strum, and I can just get us by, and that keeps us on key. And, uh, and that was, for me, it was certainly better than trying to sing a cappella uh, and teach people songs. So, uh, so that's what we did. But, uh, uh, but boy, when you start, but it's nice to go a cappella every now and then. I wouldn't want to do it all the time, but it's nice to do it uh, every now and then and just kind of listen to everyone singing and, uh, and hear the voices. So praise the Lord for that. Genesis chapter 50, we've been going over uh, the life of Joseph, and uh, this is the last lesson we'll look at, and uh, we looked at Joseph as the son, Joseph as a slave, Joseph in the scandal, uh, Joseph, uh, boy, I can't remember them all, there were several, uh, Joseph as the uh, stranger, shepherd, those are, are some of them, thank you, and, uh, and I know there was quite a few more, or a couple more rather, and this, this morning we are going to look at Joseph the saint, and I have certainly enjoyed going through the series of Joseph, and uh, there are so many lessons really that can be learned uh, on the life of Joseph, that you could just go over it and over it and over it. And, uh, and three years from now, we could go back over it and say, man, that's just good information. It's just something that is always there. Now, I'm not planning on doing that, but I'm just saying if, uh, if it came up that, that you, could, you could constantly get information uh, and, and help out of the life of Joseph. He's a phenomenal Bible character and very well known. And so Genesis chapter number 50 and verse number, actually uh, the verse before that, chapter 49 and verse 33, uh, the Bible says this, And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. In chapter 49, let me just pause here and recap. Uh, you'll remember that he had been giving the blessings actually in chapter 48 and even 47. We saw that Joseph uh, cared for his father and, and several interactions that Joseph had with his father as he was near the end of his life. And in chapter 49... He goes through and he gives the blessing to each and every one of his sons uh, accordingly. And they're all named in there and you can read them. We didn't spend any time looking at them, but I certainly encourage you to do that. And then we get to the end of chapter 49 and we see the end of jo Jacob's life. And I think I just said Joseph. I misspoke. It was Jacob that was doing all that blessing and giving out the blessings. And so at the, at, at the end of chapter 49, we come to the end of Jacob's life and he passes away. And so the Bible says there in verse 33 that we read that he, he, he had passed away. In chapter 50 and verse 1, the Bible says, And Joseph fell upon his father's face 
and wept upon him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. And the physicians embalmed Israel. And 40 days were fulfilled for him. For so are fulfilled the days of those which are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him threescore and ten days. And let's pray. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for your many blessings in our life. God, I thank you for each and every person that was able to be here this morning. And God, I thank you for the health. I thank you for the strength. I thank you for the ability uh, to be able to make it to church. Father, we do know that there are uh, those who would like to be here and cannot be here. And so, Father, uh, I pray that you would just uh, bless this morning. I pray that you would use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. I pray that you would encourage those who have called in and those who have tuned in. And God, I pray that that this would be a, a help and a blessing to them in their life. And Father, we'll thank you for that. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at the, uh, uh, the life of jo- Jacob and Joseph, and we see at the end of, of Jacob's life now, uh, obviously we can see in this passage his passing. And, uh, and one fellow, Thomas Kirk, wrote this. He said, it is, a beautiful, it is beautiful to see the exalted governor of, G- of Egypt thus bewailing the loss of his shepherd father. His grief shows that worldly greatness and splendor had not impaired the noble simplicity and tenderness of his humanity. Boy, that's true. A lot of people, they, uh, you know, they get a position and, uh, and all of a sudden, boy, they get big and, and, and they almost forget their family and they, they don't pay attention to their family. And Joseph, that did not happen to him. Joseph was still a very humble, uh, caring person. And if you think about it in Egypt, we talked about this, that uh, shepherds were really despised by Egyptians. And so Joseph would have all the more reason, well, you know, in in a private manner, I'll go visit my father, but I'm not going to make a big public to-do of it and, and, uh, and, and something of that nature. But we find that Joseph did not do that. And so we find in these first five verses of chapter 50, the passing uh, of Jacob, the passing of Jacob. And that's what we're going to look at for a little bit here. And, uh, and then we'll look at a couple other uh, passages as well. But the passing of Jacob. And, uh, and under that passing of Jacob, we can see the measuring of the years. You know, as I've read through this, there, there's been a lot of things uh, that I've really enjoyed uh, that have kind of been, been brought out of the text for us and, uh, and they've really helped and, and, and learned some things. And uh, there are all kinds of hidden nuggets in the Word of God. Uh, matter of fact, sometimes you read through and uh, I read through the Bible and I've read through the Bible many times. I don't even know how many times. But as you read through, you don't get out the same information as if you sit down and study and say, now, how, how old was Jacob? And, and try and really wrap your head around Jacob's life. And then go back and reread it and say, now, Joseph, what about his life? And try and wrap your head around Joseph's life and say, now, what about him? And what are some of these points? And what are some of these things that are uh, stand out in his life? And the more that you study and the more that you read, the more interesting it becomes. And the more little details that jump off the page and you find, wow, I didn't realize that. And I was not aware of that. In his life. And so here's one of those nuggets I'll share with you this morning. um, That uh, in Genesis, go back with me, save your spot here in Genesis 50, but go back to chapter 47. 
and verse number 28. Chapter 47 and verse number 28. And there's details here given about Jacob's life and talking about the measuring of his years. And it's very interesting as we look at this. The Bible says in Genesis 47 and verse 28, And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. And so the Bible gives us very detailed facts. And now it sprinkles it way back here in chapter 47 instead of at the end of his life. And, and that's what I mean. Sometimes the details are kind of scattered out over chapters. But nonetheless, they're just as important and just as valid. And as we look at this, I want you to notice that Jacob was 147 years old. And, uh, and if you look back in, in verse number 9... Well, verse number eight, when, when Jacob goes in and he meets Pharaoh, it says there, and Pharaoh said unto Jacob, how old art thou? And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are in 130 years. And so uh, we find that it was very, that, that it was verified that when uh, Jacob went into Egypt, remember it was shortly thereafter that Joseph presented Jacob to Pharaoh and said, hey, uh, here's my father, I want you to meet him. He was 130 years old. You go to verse 28, you'll find that he is 147 years old. Therefore, they did the math for you, and I like that because I'm not good with math on the fly. Um, but, uh, but, he tells you he had lived 17 years in Egypt. And as you read that, uh, you, you'll find that it's very interesting because Joseph or Jacob had spent 17 years at the beginning of Joseph's life with Joseph. You'll remember that he was around 17 years old when he was sold by his brothers into slavery. So Jacob had 17 years with Joseph before he was sold into slavery. We have some 20, 22 years roughly we calculated that, uh, that Joseph was gone in the country of Egypt and, uh, and, and uh, before finally... Jacob was brought up and reintroduced to him, and, and Jacob was surprised. Wow, my son's alive. And then we have Jacob spending another 17 years with Joseph at the end of Joseph's life. And I just found that interesting. I found that fact that the, uh, that the Bible points that out and says, hey, he had 17 years at the end of his life and 17 years at the beginning of his life. I find it very interesting. And there's some parallels that go along with that. And we'll just look at them and I'll mention them. I don't want to make a big deal out of them, but it is interesting just to think about some of the parallels that exist there. One of them is the joy. Uh, the joy in, in, in being reacquainted with Joseph. You think about when Joseph was brought into this world. Uh, who was his mother? Well, Rachel was. Well, what was the story with Rachel? Well, you could go way back and, and find out that, uh, that Jacob had worked seven years so that he could marry Rachel, and instead Laban, his father-in-law, tricked him, and he married Leah, and then he had to work another seven years, so it was 14 years total, so he could marry uh, Rachel, and when he did finally marry Rachel, uh, she was barren for years. You say, okay, well, listen, if you've never been there, then, uh, listen, you wouldn't understand uh, when, when 
especially in Bible times, they wanted to have children. It was a, it was a, really, it was a symbol of blessing of God on your life to be able to bear many children. And so, uh, so she, the fact that she was barren was very grievous to her. You can go through and read several stories in the Bible of, of, of women that were not able to have children and how that really uh, wore them down. It concerned them. And, uh, and matter of fact, even today, I know of people who sometimes are not able to have children and, uh, and it wears on them. And so finally, after years of barrenness, Rachel has a child. And that child is Joseph. And uh, what a joy. I mean, anytime a baby is born, it is usually a very joyous occasion. Uh, but in this case, it was probably extra joyous because of the barrenness that Rachel had been through. And, uh, and so for her to bring forth a child was, was exciting and it created great joy in the life of both uh, Jacob and Rachel. And then we find some uh, many, many years later, that when Jacob finds out that Joseph is alive and he sees him, man, what a great joyous occasion. And how that parallels the start of 17 years uh, in Joseph's life was great joy. And, uh, and the next um, set of 17 years, how that was great joy to Jacob as well to find, hey, that his son uh, is alive. It had been marked by 20 plus years of dark sadness and, and, and thought that, hey, jo Joseph was not alive and to find out that he was alive. Not only that, but I want you to notice the provision um, for the first 17 years, Jacob did all the providing for Joseph. He took care of him. Uh, he was his son, of course. And so, uh, so he took care of him and provided for him. The next 17 years, uh, the tables are turned and Joseph is now taking care of his father. Remember when he brought him up to Egypt? He said, I will take care of you. I will nourish you. I will feed you. I will provide for you. And Joseph was certainly in a place that he could do that. And he did that. And what a great blessing as we see that we see the, the parallel of the joy. We see the parallel of the provision. We see the parallel of honor. Uh, you see that uh, you remember that Joseph, um, he had been given a coat of many colors when he was young. Why? His father honored him. He said, man, you're a good worker. You do what you're told. And, uh, and, he, and he saw that he was somebody that was going to be uh, a good worker and of good character. And so he honored him. We see at the end of the flip side of that, that, uh, that Joseph, in turn, honored Jacob, his father. Uh, in those, those last 17 years, he did offer him great honor. I mean, he introduced him to, uh, to Pharaoh, and, and he was able to meet Pharaoh. Not only that, but he took care of him. We saw that last week as he was the shepherd of his family. And so uh, there was a lot of honor that, that Joseph bestowed upon Jacob in those last 17 years. Then we see uh, it's marked as a parallel with mourning. Jacob mourned the loss of Joseph. You remember when he thought he was dead. Uh, he, he mourned. I mean, he held on. You can see it even up into the chapters where he held on to Benjamin. He said, no, no, I'm not. I've already lost Joseph and I'm not going to lose Benjamin too. And there was a great mourning that took place in Jacob's life as he mourned the loss of Joseph. And then we find at the end of, uh, of the cycle and the flip side of things that Joseph greatly mourned the loss of his father. And, uh, and so there's just some parallels there 
that I think are, are interesting and certainly worth noting uh, as Joseph had 17 years with his father in his, in his younger days and then 17 years with his father uh, at the end of Jacob's life. And so what, a, uh, what an incredible amount of years that they did spend together, even though there was some 20 years that they had lost. Uh, but praise the Lord, they had been reunited. And uh, it's just interesting to note those, those parallels that are there. Now I want us to notice the... Uh, not only in the passing of, of Jacob, I want us to notice as well the memorials at Jacob's death. Look with me there in our passage back in Genesis 50. And, uh, and look with me in the beginning there, well, in chapter, verse number 5, rather. While we read down to verse 3, let's pick it up in verse number 4. And when the days of his mourning were passed... Joseph spake unto the house of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found grace in your eyes, speak, I pray you, in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Lo, I die in my grave, in my grave which I have digged for me in the land of Canaan. There shalt thou bury me. Now therefore let me go up, I pray thee, and bury my father, and I will come again. And Pharaoh said, Go up. And bury thy father according as he made thee swear. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, and the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, and all the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds they left in the land of Goshen." And so we find here that, uh, that the memorials at, jo at, at Jacob's death. And, uh, and so Joseph uh, had a great honor bestowed upon Joseph at his passing. And, uh, and you think, man, what about the, uh, the, the mourning that he had? We read there in verse number uh, 3 that the Egyptians mourned for him three score and ten days. Now, three score, a score in the Bible is 20. And they use it often, so three score would be three times 20, that would be 60, and then 10 years, so that would be seven, uh, not years, I'm sorry, days, uh, three score would be 60, and 10 days, that would be 70 days uh, that they mourned for Jacob. Yes, I did that right. All right, I was doubting my math there for a second. I did it everything and I wrote it down, but I wanted to make sure. Uh, so, so there was 70 days. History shows that the Egyptians would mourn for a king for 72 days. And so it was just two days less than mourning for the most highest official uh, in, in, in the country of Egypt. Now, what does that mean? I, we don't understand that. That is not part of our culture. You know, funerals are, are, are different from culture to culture. And in America, our, our uh, tradition and our custom is uh, to have a, uh, have, have a viewing and, and usually uh, a service afterwards, and then, and then we're kind of done. And, and yes, many times people will cry and there'll be uh, sadness and that's kind of mourning. But in Bible times and in Egypt even, uh, what they would do is they would actually hire people that would be considered whalers. Now, you're saying, well, that's really crazy. It's not our culture, so we really don't understand that. But they would bring people in who would professionally cry and, uh, and wail and moan the loss of a, of a loved one. Um, and and they, you see that even in Bible times that they would do that. Uh, in the New Testament, that shows up. 
And so the history really of funerals is far, uh, or the culture rather of funerals is, is far different maybe than we're used to. But we find that at least for 70 days, uh, they would have these mourners come in and they would mourn the loss of, Joseph, of Jacob. And those people, everyone around them would say, oh, we know exactly what's going on. Somebody died and somebody had passed away. Um, when I was in Peru, I'll give you this real quick. Uh, in Peru, funerals are, are, are similar to ours, but yet they're a little bit different. And, uh, and so when somebody passes away, they, uh, they don't have funeral homes, uh, at least not in the parts where I live, maybe in, in other places they did, but they would just have the, the casket brought into their house at the person's house. And, uh, and they would stay there. And so uh, we, as, a, as Christians, we had a funeral there. We would, we would go to the house and everyone would show up about 9 o'clock at night. And, uh, and then they would stay there until about midnight. And as Christians, we would stay and, you know, they'd have the viewing and people would sit down and talk and you'd, uh, there'd be some food. And then after a while, what we did is we had a service every single night. We'd get up, we'd sing some songs, we'd give the testimony of the fella and preach salvation to all the people that were gathered. And, uh, and we would do that for three days and then... Afterwards, they would, they would take the body, and this is one of the things I found interesting, I actually liked about it, is, uh, is they would carry that casket uh, on their shoulders, not with a hearse, but on their shoulders from their house to the cemetery, and it did not matter how far it was. And I remember one time, one of our fellows had passed away in our church, and we walked, oh, it was at least a good hour that we walked. Uh, and they carried that casket right down the road. And all the cars, they just find other ways to go. And you take up the whole road. And, and, uh, and as people get tired of carrying the casket, somebody else will step up and, and carry the casket for a while. And somebody else will drop out. And they just kind of rotate in and out. And, and we sang Christian songs the whole way as we marched to the cemetery carrying this fella. And then, uh, and then we had a graveside funeral as well. And, uh, and then buried him there in the wall. And so uh, I'm just saying that, that culturally, uh, funerals are very different from place to place. Now, there, ours was more similar to American culture, though, it's, though it is still different. Uh, there, there's other cultures that are completely different, like this, uh, where, where they mourn for them. And so Joseph was in charge of organizing the mourning, and, uh, and he showed great honor to his father by mourning him uh, for 70 days. Not only that, but I want you to notice as we read here in chapter uh, 50 and verse number 7 down through 9, we, we read the multitude that was involved. He says here in verse number 7, he says, And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. And, uh, and so he gathered a whole crowd of people. And said, hey, I want you to go with me. And there was a multitude of people, again, that would bestow great honor upon, upon Jacob at his burial. And, uh, and so there was a great amount of memorial and, uh, and honor that, that Joseph showed to his father in the passing. And so uh, we can see the measuring of years. We can see the memorials at the death there of Jacob. Go with me to verse number 15. And I want you to see not only the passing of his father, but I want you to see the pardon to his brothers. Verse number 15, the Bible says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil 
which we did unto him. And they sent messengers unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command thee, command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the, of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept. When they spake unto him and his brethren also went and fell down before his face and they said, behold, uh, we be thy servants. I want you to notice the pardon here that Joseph gives. Uh, Joseph's brethren were scared when they when their dad passed away. They said, oh, man, Joseph's going to get us back. And so they uh, they they opted to send a messenger uh, to Joseph and make up this story and say, hey, you know, when dad before dad passed away, he told us uh, to make sure that you knew that you were to pardon us and that you weren't to pay us back for all the bad things that we did. And. Uh, and uh, as we look at this, I want us to notice a few things. Uh, number one, I want you to notice the misery of sinners. The misery of sinners. Joseph's brethren were, were miserable. Why? Because sin makes you miserable. Uh, could you imagine, although close to 40 years had passed, the memory was still fresh in their minds. You know what that tells me? That they relived that, that they dreamt about that. Maybe they woke up night and night and night again with nightmares seeing Joseph's face as he was being sold. And with all of the regret that they carried around with them for 40 years, there was, it was there. And it was a problem. Now I want you to think about this. They made money. You think back all the way back to the day when they sold. You know what happened? They sold off Joseph. Man, they had 20 pieces of silver. Woohoo! Could you imagine? You think that lasted a year? Was it worth the guilt they carried for 40 years? See, sin will give you pleasure, the Bible says, for a season. And there's something to that, that, yeah, it's for the here and now, but it's not lasting. But the guilt that carries with it is certainly there. And it certainly shows that the brothers had trouble even finding their own forgiveness for themselves for what they had done. And we find that sin will make people miserable in their life. And so we see that, that uh, the plague of that misery had hung over their heads. And there's a great price tag to the price of sin. And we need to understand that and realize that in our life. Because so often, listen, the Bible says that the devil is the great tempter and a great deceiver. And he will come and he'll say, oh, it's, you know, it'll be fun and it'll be great. But we don't think about the long-term effects of how sin will impact our life. And we do need to understand that because it does have a great impact. And you can see that with the misery uh, that his brothers were in. I mean, they immediately were smitten with guilt. They immediately were smitten with, uh, oh man, this is going to be a problem. Dad's gone. And, uh, and now Joseph's in a very powerful position. So not only can we see their misery, but I want you to notice that they, the, the mistrust of sinners as well. And you can see that in their life. The brothers' uh, fear didn't stem from Joseph being distrustful, but rather from the guilt of their sin. Joseph had already proven that he was a very trustworthy person. 
when he said, hey, you bring back your brother and, uh, and I'll turn you, you free, uh, then he did that. He already proved that he was trustworthy. He already proved that, hey, I will take care of you. He had sent them uh, their corn and sent them their money back. He had sent uh, wagons to bring them up. So Joseph, time and time again, has proven to them that he's a caring, trustworthy person who is interested in helping them out, but yet they still had mistrust in their heart. Why is that? The guilt of sin. The guilt of sin will leave a person mistrusting. And, uh, and it's the nature of sin. Guilt creates fear and mistrust in other. Fear of retribution, fear of revenge, fear of payback, fear of judgment. And this is not the first time that it shows up. I remember, you remember when, when Joseph first brought the brothers up and he, and he told them, he said, he was asking them, you know, do you have brethren? Are you spies to spy out the land? And, and, and as they got alone and started talking, they said, surely our guilt has come back upon us. It's all, it's all coming back. It, it, we deserve this because of what we did to Joseph. And, and, and we saw that before, the guilt that constantly crept into their life. And so it caused them to distrust others. Uh, Matthew Poole, a commentist, uh, commentator, said this, Guilt doth so awaken fear that it makes a man never to think himself secure. Well, there's a lot of truth in that. Matthew Henry, he said this, A guilty conscience exposes men to continual frights even when there is no fear and makes them suspicious of everybody. You know what the Bible says? The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. You know, somebody who's constantly looking over their shoulder and saying, wow, man, that's going to... And they're running from something. Uh, and they know that, that sometime their life is going to catch up to them and they have not found that forgiveness. And the brothers here... Even though Joseph had forgiven them, uh, they, they just they couldn't accept that forgiveness, and they were, they were still plagued with guilt in their life. What was the nature of the brothers? You think about, well, why would they do that? Why would they send that, uh, that messenger? Uh, because that they knew uh, that in their life, they would be able to hang on to that anger. Matter of fact, it's displayed. We won't go there for sake of time. But, uh, but, but how to pretend to be somebody's friend and then turn around and destroy a city. They did that with an entire city of people. They said, oh, okay, yeah, we'll do this. And they buddied up to them, and they lied to them, and they deceived them. And then they turned around and went in and destroyed the entire city, so much so that Jacob was mad and said, man, you've caused a reproach on our name, and, and, uh, and these people are all going to hate us, and they're going to come after us and attack us. And so uh, that was part of the nature of the brothers uh, that they would do. So they would look at Joseph and say, well, you know, we know that we could do that. So Joseph probably could do the same thing. It's part of the mistrust because of their own sin nature and their own deceitfulness and their own revenge and their own uh, wicked lives. And so they obviously had distrust for Joseph. But I want you to notice not only that, I want you to notice not just the, the misery and the mistrust, but I want you to notice more, more importantly the mercy for sinners. I they had sent a messenger to Joseph. As you look at that, it really does not fit the narrative of Joseph and Jacob's life. 
Jacob and Joseph had many times when they had talked. Matter of fact, we saw, we looked at it last week, how Joseph went into Jacob, and, and it was just them two. And they had plenty of opportunity to talk. If Jacob really was concerned about Joseph uh, turning on his brothers, I believe that Jacob would have told him face to face. After all, he did bring him in and say, listen, this is what I want for the end of my life. And if he had any inkling of doubt in his life that Joseph would uh, revenge his brothers, I think at that moment he would have said something. But he didn't because he trusted Joseph. He had a good relationship with Joseph. He witnessed Joseph's compassion and care that he had bestowed upon his brethren and his family. And so as we look at this, we see great mercy that Joseph really showed to his brothers. Look at the, uh, the saintly reaction there in verse number 17. So shall ye say unto Joseph, forgive, this is what the brothers, the messenger said to Joseph, uh, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sins, for they did unto thee evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of thy servants, of the God of thy father. And, ver and the end of the verse says, And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Why do you think Joseph wept? I think he wept because he's like, Man, I've poured out all kinds of kindness, and they still don't see it. I I'm not interested in paying them back. But they still don't understand forgiveness. I think he was genuinely sad and heartbroken for his brethren and their distrustful ways. And so uh, I think he wept because of uh, his unbelief and even what they, or their unbelief, that they did not believe in him. Uh, look with me at verse number, verse number 18. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? And we find that, uh, well, let's keep reading there. For am I in the place of God? Verse 20. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Now therefore fear ye not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. Not only did he weep, but he, he, uh, he spoke kindly to them. And he gave them words of, of compassion and words of, of comfort and said, hey, I'm going to take care of you. Don't worry about it. Uh, and he assured them of his kind intentions. And so we, we see that, his kind reaction. But I want you to notice too about this passage is the surety uh, of grace. It's not the size of the sin, somebody once said, but the size of God's grace. Sometimes people think, well, I've sinned too great of a sin. I've had people tell me, well, I can't, God, I'm not sure that God would forgive me for what I've done. Listen, God's, uh, God's grace far exceeds the world's sins. You understand that's, that's more than just one person. That's, that's huge. God's grace and God's goodness is very great. Joseph here displays a wonderful picture of grace and mercy. I mean, one of probably the worst thing that another person could do to you is kill you. And that being flesh and blood, could you imagine? 
And yet Joseph said, because that was their intention. You go all the way back, you can read it. Their intention originally was to kill Joseph. And they didn't follow through with that. Instead, uh, they went a different route. But nonetheless, that was their intention. And here we find that Joseph absolutely forgave them. What a great example of mercy. What a great example of grace. And how, how Joseph allowed God to work in his life. Listen, that's not a natural occurrence. The nature of man is to revenge. The nature of man is to hold a grudge. The nature of man is to hold on to it. But we find that Joseph showed mercy and grace uh, to his brethren. And, uh, and what, a, what an awesome amount of grace that he showed uh, to them. And so we see the mercy for the sinners. And then lastly, in verse 22 down through 26, we won't have time to get into it, but I want to just give it to you. It's the profession of Joseph. What a great section in this part, because Joseph pro professes his faith and trust in God. He said, listen, he, he, you go back and you read it. He said, God is going to bring us out of this place and take us to a new place. Take us back down to Canaan land. And, uh, and so he had a very public per profession of his faith and his belief in God. And, uh, and he said, listen, I know that it's going to take place. And, uh, and he said, even, he said, I want you to carry my bones out. In other words, I may die before it happens, but I still believe it's going to happen. And, uh, and he had a very, uh, a very grounded faith. And so we see his profession and we see the merits of his profession. But then he, he also tells them, he says, hey, you make sure that you carry me out of here. He said, I don't want my bones left here. I'm not from Egypt. Uh, I, I belong to, to the promised land where God wants me to be. And so, uh, so we see that he, he made them uh, aware of the fact that, hey, I don't want to be left in the world. Listen, our faith ought to make a difference uh, in who we are. Uh, it ought to be displayed publicly that other people can see. So many people want to say, well, I believe in God, and yet their life reflects absolutely nothing of God. I can't believe I've talked to so many people. When I talk to people, I like to, I like to ask them this, do you believe in God? Well, yeah, I believe in God. And I, and I say, well, what do, you, what do you know about God? And they are like, I don't know anything about God. Well, you know what? The Bible tells us a lot about God. I'd like to share you with you some things about God. And, and if, if you, uh, you believe in God and you trust the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior, then you're going to want to learn more. And the more you learn and the more you grow in knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the more it's going to institute a change in your life. Because God's interested in cleaning up our life and making a difference. You can see in Joseph's life what a difference his belief in God. It wasn't just something that he professed with his mouth, but it was something he lived with his life and practiced with his actions and proclaimed in saying, hey, be sure to take me out of here. And it's so, so incredible that it's mentioned in Hebrews 11.22. The Bible says, By faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. That's how great his faith was. And we see that Joseph, uh, even in his, uh, in, in towards the end of his dad's life and uh, at the end of his life, he's saying, hey, make sure you don't leave me here. Just like jo Jacob had said, Make sure you don't leave me here. I want to be back in my land, in Canaan land. Uh, Egypt is not my home. And uh, it was really, the idea was being professed to all of, all of the Israelites. Hey, 
Egypt is not my home. And Egypt is not your home. And when God leads us out of here, you be sure, take my bones out of here. Get me out of here. And, uh, and so what a, what a wonderful example, really, uh, of his profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we stand to our, our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Father, we thank you for the life of Joseph. And God, what a, what a saintly reaction, really, to all that took place and how we recognize that, God, you are in control of everything. All the bad that took place, all the good, all the promotions. And yet, he maintained his faith and his trust in you. God, I pray that you would help us as we look at Joseph's life, as we think about it. God, that we would display the grace, the forgiveness, the profession that he made of faith in you. And God, that we would have those things, those elements in our life. And God, we'll be careful to thank you and give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we have just a short hymn of invitation.